0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. How do you reset for baby number two if you had a birth that rocked everything that you thought was going to happen? Well, today, Carrie Azuma joins us on the show, and she is 38 weeks pregnant and on the precipice of having baby number two at the time of this recording. By the time this interview airs, she will have welcomed her baby into the world, and all the things that are currently up in the air will have maybe landed, and new things will be up in the air because she will be navigating the transition from one to two, which many of us know takes a while and can take a bit of renegotiating, discovery, and all the things that come with the not small process that is being pregnant, giving birth, having a baby, and taking care of a newborn. This world and this walk into motherhood constantly challenges our expectations, our assumptions, and our beliefs. That's what today's episode is all about. Carrie shares how she suffered through a traumatic first birth and postpartum time and how she set up her expectations for motherhood in a way that didn't eventually serve her. And her dream of motherhood, something she'd been wanting for much of her life, became, in her words, kind of a nightmare. At the same time, it brought her into what she calls her medicine in the work that she does with mothers. Since she had her first baby, she's been deep in an ongoing study of the expectations we place around motherhood and birth, and the transformational journey that is motherhood. Let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. Carrie has been a coach since 2010, and she works with board members of influential companies and poets and entrepreneurs and other coaches and leaders in the health and wellness sectors. She coaches with author, speaker, and coach Preston Smiles in his popular program, Stretch 22. And after many years of being a coach in 2015, she shifted her focus to specialize in working with mothers in particular on leadership development, overcoming stress, and dealing with overwhelm through powerful self-realization exercises. She has worked with mothers through social media, private sessions, and she has an elite group coaching model called the Empowered Mothers Alliance. It's not currently live because she is on the precipice of baby number two, but it is work that she has done for a long time. And she will share some of her work history on this episode. Today, we get to be in conversation with someone at 38 weeks and ask a lot of questions and hear her experience. There isn't one path or one journey of motherhood, as many of you know, especially if you have been a longtime listener of this podcast. And I'm always fascinated by all of the ways we can move through and with and towards all of this transformation that is happening for each of us. So let's dig in. I am so excited that Splendid Spoon is one of our newest sponsors of the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Splendid Spoon. They are a meal delivery service that has been really wonderful during my postpartum time after baby number two. As you know, one of the things that can be really hard for new moms is finding enough high quality, good, nutritious, nutrient-dense foods to eat when you're super hungry and you have a new baby in your household. Seriously, for me, I put the baby down. I run to the kitchen. I open my fridge, and then I see that everything I've bought has to be prepared. And I just—I don't even have time to chop things up, let alone like make it to the bathroom, take a shower, whatever—all the things are that have to be done. So then I end up opening my cabinet, and on a good day, I'm snacking on seaweed snacks and some salted nuts. But honestly, I grab anything. And then it turns out I've eaten like five bags of potato chips that day and nothing else. That's why I was really happy when Splendid Spoon reached out about being a referral partner. They make soups and smoothies that are ready to eat, nutrient dense and plant based. Startup Pregnant listeners get $50 off their first delivery when you use the link splendid.to slash startup pregnant. That's Splendid. I will put the link in the show notes so that you can get $50 off of your first week of delivery. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Carrie, I am so excited to have you here today. Hi. Hi, it's so good to be here with you. So I wanna start with one of my favorite questions. Can you tell us what time you woke up this morning and what the first thing you did was?
1: <laughs> Such a funny question, being thirty eight week or almost thirty eight weeks pregnant. Oh gosh. So what was the question again? I'm
0: just what, <laughs> what time did you <laughs> go ahead, what time did you wake up?
1: I woke up at 8 30 a luxurious 8 30 that was the treat with my three-year-old being watched by my husband and you actually the first thing I did today was kind of cool you know like I participate a lot in ceremony and I've been singing songs to prepare for my birth to connect to sort of the altar of the ceremonies that we sit in and my little three-year-old and my husband both sing songs with me we sing four songs and then we do a, a prayer together and it was so sweet it was just like it's the way I want to wake up every day, but never, I can never hold that routine. But today it happened. So that was kind of nice. It's a good day to answer that question.
0: Oh, that sounds dreamy. What is the ceremony?
1: It's an ancient teepee ceremony that's kind of in the history of the Wichol people. It's, you know, they do use plant medicine, but it's, you know, we've, We've sat in this, and it's such a beautiful structure. Of you sit up all night long and pray, and the prayer is for somebody or something. So someone will call a prayer. It's very community oriented, which is very me and my husband. And you know, like it's not, it's not like a wild ride or hallucinogenic anything. It's not like that. It's it's very gentle. And my kid, my kid has been in it with me every time I've done it. I've breastfed through these ceremonies. I've, I kind of like became a mother in in the teepee. You know, I realized who I was as a mother because i i remember i started when he was 10 months old and he's still doing them with us now at 3 and i can really just see you know a reflection of like how i hold myself in there and how my son holds himself in there in a way that i can't see it in the real world it's very hard to explain but when you're staying up all night long from like 9 p.m. to you know 9 a.m. or 6 a.m. or however you know we stay up kind of pretty much through the whole next middle of the day you know, we go through this whole portal of just, you know, how how do we be with that? How do we sit with the fire? How do we pray? And it's all very based on the elements and the earth. And yeah, I was introduced to these ways when it was about ten months old, and it really helped me through my postpartum time because I had so much depression my after my first birth. So it really healed me, and so I, I really, you know, we just returned to those ceremonies, like at least three times a year. And they really ground me. So I'm really using that as a translation for this next birth I'm having because I'm having a V back at home. And I'm really trying to hold birth as a ceremony this time versus holding it as like, you know, just birth, you know, like this definition of like how it should look based on every voice out there. I'm just really trying to make it my own this time to help me stay, you know, in, in focus in a different way.
0: There are so many places I want to take this because you, you've you just shared so much. First of all, you're 38 weeks pregnant and you're you're like on the precipice of birth again. So I want to unpack that as much as you're willing. But I also want to hear more about this this ceremony and I want to hear about your first birth experience. So let me start kind of by taking us back because I think we'll be able to get to all of these pieces. But I want to take us back And I would love to have you tell us some of your parenting journey. Where did you start your parenting journey? Did you always know that you wanted to become a parent? What did that look like?
1: Yes, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Like from the time I was little, I was always like, it was just me and my sister growing up. I was always the one who was like, there's a baby in the room, give me the baby, you know? And yeah, it was just something like, it was like a birthright to me. I felt like that. I felt so strongly about it. And, you know, I think that was what was so shocking when I became a parent was, you know, like I had a very traumatic first birth. I started at home. I transferred to the hospital. I ended up in C-section, you know, just had a, it was such a big journey. That could be a whole show, so I don't even know if I need to go too far
0: into that. But (laughs) they could all be right. Like each of these (laughs) pieces, (laughs) it's like I could I could drill down and like peel back the layers and peel back the layers, and we could talk just about one single moment in any of these. So yeah, that sounds like that was really traumatic in some ways. Can you give us a sense of it? You know, yeah, I think I think I first of all I was
1: such a different person the first time I gave birth because like everything I do with my work and my business and my mission now is all based on that experience you know and so that's you know I was I've been a, a leadership development coach for 8 years and have been in this work for a long time but I didn't really like get the call of what my actual work was until I became a mom so like that's how impactful it was it was just like I was so I was such a, like, you know, a leadership mindset and like, you know, I was just such a like go-getter and like in such a masculine mindset around that too. And I'd been trained by men a lot in this industry. And I mean, one of the best men, I mean, I just love my mentor, Scott Cody. He's amazing, but you know, I I was just in that place of like, I can conquer anything I can, you know, like but I, I didn't realize how much I was living in expectation and my whole birth kind of became a huge expectation and I didn't realize it. It kind of snuck up on me and and it wasn't until I was in it that I actually it wasn't until much later that I realized this, but that I was kind of in a space of entitlement instead of surrender. And I feel like I just never surrendered. It's kind of the reason I feel like I never progressed, because I just felt like I was just kind of angry and frustrated and fighting pain and just fighting, like swimming upstream the whole time and also devastated because I just thought I would have this particular, like, you know, the videos, the orgasmic birth videos. Like, I just thought I would have this home birth that was just like so beautiful. And for me, like probably three hours in, I was, I remember calling one of my midwives and saying, I already don't think I can do this. Like, I, (laughs) I think I just like gave up at that point in a way. So yeah, just as it progressed, it was just like, like expectation bus after expectation bus, like leaving the house and like not progressing once I was in the hospital for a vaginal birth, even though they were letting me try and, which is rare, you know, then like having to submit to what I called my worst nightmare, which was a C-section. I was like, that's the only thing I don't want for this birth is a C-section. And of course, careful what you pray for, because I was praying to not have that. And that's what I got. So yeah, that, and then when I came home, it was like, I was traumatized by being back in my house. So like, just imagine like bringing your baby home and just like feeling like I'm going back to this place where that feels haunted to me. And I just, I hated being in my room. I hated staring at my birth. Everything reminded me of like the way things went, which was not at all what I had dreamed of. So I felt like my, my birth of, or my dream of birthing was kind of shattered. But if more than that, I felt like my dream of motherhood had been shattered and, that was the biggest piece that has transformed the work that I, into the work I do now because I had such a view of what that was supposed to look like. And nobody kind of told me that this is like transformation, honey. Like you, you don't have control over like how this is going to look. You know, you just get to be on that ride. And I've seen other mothers go through it that way and have such a beautiful experience. And I've seen a lot more mothers go through it my way and be totally traumatized by the transition of their identity. So that's a lot of the work that I do now is just like, you know, and that's the work I've been doing on myself for the last three and a half years to just prepare to have even have this next child.
0: Yeah. What does that look like now that you're going into a a second birth, a second pregnancy, a second birth? Like how are you holding space for it? And what, if you don't mind me asking, like, what's your emotional state like now, today, these weeks? Cause you're so close mm-hmm. to another birth.
1: It's all over the place. I will be honest. Like I'm it, like one minute I'm up another minute. I'm like, whoa, I just wrote a post on social media the other day about, you know, like walking through the shadow places. Cause I think I've been like strong arming it a little bit like, okay, like I can surrender. I can be okay with going to the hospital, having a C-section. I'm doing everything to prepare, you know, starting to get in this place of like handling it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there was like, just still fears lodged in there. And it wasn't until this last week, I went back to my OB who delivered my son Sitka who did the C-section. She's an amazing, amazing OB because she's, she is like the VBAC doctor in our area And she's also very pro vaginal birth. Like she will save the C-section for the last second and everything in the hospital system should have told her to give me a C-section when I came in based on how our hospitals run and the business of birthing. But she was like, "Nope, I'm going to give you like, she gave me an entire day and my Mm -hmm. water had already broken the day before. So she, she's amazing. She did everything. But when I went to see her this time, you know, she was definitely supportive of the VBAC, but like just a little on the doctor side, you know, like, I'm just concerned. I would rather have you in the hospital doing a VBAC, but it's your body, your baby. And like you decide. And it just kind of shook me up. And then I was feeling all this doubt and just like feeling so emotional. I was, I went to go see my midwife right after that. And as soon as I got into her office, I just broke down sobbing and was like, what if I'm making the wrong choice for my baby? Am I in that expectation again? You know, of like, I need birth to go my way to heal. Am I attached to that? Like, those are the questions that are coming up now with the back. is like, is my attachment coming back? Is, you know, am I disguising it as like, no, I'm surrendering and just going to try this out, but actually I really <laughs> need to have this, you know? <laughs> but
0: it's also going to go this way. Yeah. Right. Oh. So there's
1: like a whole level of that. And I really needed to like go there. And she kind of like went through everything. She's like, well, you know, like we don't have to just like, Change your whole birth plan. We can go to the birth center in between if that makes you feel safe, or if you're stalling, we're not going to wait this time. We're going to go, you know. So she just kind of like helped me with all that. Then the next day, I was like, oh my God, the birds are chirping. I feel so light. I'm so ready for this, you know, like, oh, amazing, you know. And then that night, I was like, again, like, oh God, you know. So it literally is a moment to moment thing, just, you know, really being sure. And I think the biggest difference this time, aside from holding it is like a ceremonial and more surrendered space. And actually I want to say something about that, that feels really important to share with other mothers, you know, especially in the spiritual realm. And that is, you know, like I kind of got this message. I had this moment in my first birth where I said, I was kind of angry with like spirit, you know, I was like, I'm just a very spiritual person. And I was just like, where is everyone? Where are my guides? Where are my angels? Where is everyone? Why am I feeling so alone and terrified and in so much pain? And I was angry, like I was so angry. And I remember being so angry after my birth for so long, and having that just stuck in my body. And then I was asking that question recently. I sit in the sweat lodge too, so I I did a sweat lodge last Saturday, which was divine. And some people freak out about doing that when you're pregnant, but I just I love it. I've been doing it for years. And I just kind of got this message of like, you know, like I was never abandoned by spirit. Like I abandoned that trust. Like I abandoned those guides, and that's because I said I was going to take control over all of it by wanting to like make it go my way or fight that pain. And this time I'm realizing, oh, like I wasn't actually surrendered. <laughs> I was still trying to control so much of it. And funny enough, this is the relationship I have with my son. We're always in a dance of like, he's like, I don't want to be controlled. And he will, I call him my surrender baby because
0: he's
1: (laughs) seeing and acting out. And I'm just like, okay, like, how can I just let go? And it plays out, you know, really. I think the whole birth imprint plays out with us. And this time, one thing I'm doing so differently is I'm really listening to my baby. And like, I've been connecting with her a lot more and just like, praying for her instead of myself and like, you know, like really trusting the wisdom of this, of this baby and saying like, okay, you get to choose your birth. I'll just follow. And that's where I can find the most surrender, you know? So I think that's kind of the difference this time that I'm actually able to step into this VBAC and like be confident and as as much as I can be. And I think I trust myself to be in a mindset of letting go in such a big way, because it's the work I've been doing on myself and with other mothers for the last three years.
0: This is so fascinating to me because I, I know we're done, we're most, I'm pretty sure we're done with two babies and yet I would have so many more babies if only just to like learn, go through the fire and learn who I am because it is so raw and so opening, right? And it's just, yeah. and it's not to me, this is also, I'm just speaking from my experience, but what you're sharing with me reminds me of this. Like it doesn't go the way we imagine in our heads, it shows us who we actually are. And that can be really brutal to experience Mm -hmm. sometimes. Oh, I love how you just said that.
1: That's so right on. Yeah. That's why I feel like I'm such a different person going through this birth. And that is what I'm looking forward to exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. I really can't wait to see who I show up as, however it goes, you know, like, I really want to see like how, who I am in this, and I think that's such a beautiful part of motherhood and being a mother in business and all of the things. It's like, you know, we everything is a mirror for us to so just get to see who we're being, how we're showing up. And it's, it is, it's said like the biggest portal and we've probably done it too as well. And it is, I'm almost, I'm grieving that as well. I'm just like, man, same thing. It's like, I'm never going to be pregnant. I'm going to feel a baby inside
0: of here again. I'm not, you know. At least as far as I know. <laughs> right, right. As far as right. we know. I want to I wanna ask you more about the spirituality side. Where did that first show up in your life? And how have you woven it into your current life as a mother?
1: Oh, what a great and rich question. Well, I mean, I grew up Catholic, which I'm not, you know, practicing Catholic anymore. But, you know, so I always had some sense of like spirituality from my parents. Catholicism isn't really what I choose anymore. But, you know, I think it did set a nice foundation for just having that extra element of something bigger than myself. But when my dad was, how old was he? I was 16. My dad went out on this Native American tradition called a vision quest. And this is so much, this is so poignant now because it's so much of the work I'm doing with moms that how my work has evolved into this. And it's just a rite of passage that, you know, in the Native American community, they do this with young boys traditionally, take them out to the wilderness for four days, four nights, no food in solitude, and they go to, to like, you know, see who they are, be in dialogue with nature and return with a vision for their people. So my dad did a version of this, you know, which was like blessed by the natives in our in our area, and to somebody who led it who we really trust. And I was only 16. But I was so fascinated by this process. And this is kind of like what introduced rites of passage into my world, which is like my entire, you know, mission right now with mothers is like reigniting what rite of passage means in motherhood in Western culture. Cause for me, that's like one of the biggest absences of like why women are experiencing so much trauma, so much overwhelm, so much, you know, lack of support, isolation, all those things. Cause we're not really giving the time to cross over into the realm of like pausing for this transition. It's such a big transition as we honestly know your whole podcast is based on it. So, you know, I think it's just huge. And so that's kind of where it was sparked for me. And then I kind of just like, you know, through my twenties, I wasn't really, I was always spiritually connected, but never like practicing anything specific. And then when I was 27, I did a vision quest like my dad went through the same community and that changed my entire life. That was just so incredible. It was three days, three nights for women. And, I just had this incredible experience, embodied experience of being out of nature alone, not eating away from every routine, every voice, every message, and just got very clear on, you know, like who I was. And I just fell in love with these ways. And like, then it kind of sparked my interest for Native American ceremony and the, their church and their culture. And, and ever since I've always been fascinated with it and just kind of gotten deeper into, into those ways. Like I've attended you know, su- supported for Sundance and I've you know, sat in sweat lodge and I've done these other ceremonies and it just really resonates with me. I
0: feel like it's, it's really like what has fed my life so much. So do you remember why you went on that vision quest when you were 27? What led to that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny at first it was kind of like my sister was doing it again. And I was like, maybe this is the year I'll do it. Cause I always wanted to do it, but I just didn't have that like big call every year. You know, you have to really be called to, to do something like that. And I think that year, I was just feeling really lost as a woman. I was kind of entering into, like what they call the Saturn return, you know, between 27 mm-hmm. and 30. And I just kind of like had an inner knowing that like this was the time and I needed something to, to mark crossing over into womanhood in a more obvious way. And that's basically, you know, that's why these, these traditions were created was to mark a threshold. Hence the name of my retreats that I lead thresholds is the name because, you know, like those thresholds are so big. And when we make space for them, it really allows us to evolve in a way that's so conscious and so aware of where like where we're going and what we're committing to in our lives. And then the vision I had come back with from that from that quest was to be my authentic self and give other people permission to do the same. It was very simple. Just that. And I feel like that's followed me into every single thing I've done, even just reporting on my birth journey on social media. You know, I'm just like, I'm posting like the nitty gritty. I'm not really posting like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm about to enter into this next baby. I'm like, no, nope. like I cried all day yesterday. And <laughs> sometimes I'm really not sure if I can do this again. You know, I really want people to like have all that taboo conversation around motherhood to just, you know, be opened up and cracked open so that they can have that permission to just be like, yes, this is so visceral for me. I really, I get to process this now with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I carried it into my work now.
0: Yeah, so much of your work is about rites of passage and transition. And and like you said, your retreats around threshold, this, this shift. I find it so fascinating that your, the vision quest that you were called to wasn't about the motherhood rite of passage, but it was about like what does it mean to become a woman in our society? Like when and where and how do we mark that? And I think there's a difference between, you know, that 18 to to 22-year-old mark demarcation of college where a lot of people leave their parents' house for the first time. But then there's like that <laughs> other marker. What is the late 20s? And what about becoming a mother? And what are the rituals when you don't become a mother? Mm. Can you talk about – you have said before that you want to change the conversation of motherhood and the rite of passage. I want to sit here with you for a little bit. Like, what does it mean to change this conversation and, and look at motherhood as a rite of passage? What does that mean for you?
1: Yeah, ugh, I love this question, and it's always different. The answer is always different. For I guess what it means to me is just having more space. I mean, really simply, more having having more space around getting to process what that transition means for every single woman, but having an expectation, a cultural expectation that we get time to do that. You know, it's like, you've talked about this so much in your podcast, just like how ridiculous basically our maternity leave is like the space we get, how much that pressure is there to, to like keep up and not put our business down because, you know, we we could get lost in the shuffle or, you know, just kind of that, I feel anyway like like that capitalistic like go, and you know I don't think that that that's all evil, I don't condemn it i I like feeling that in, in some ways I like have a healthy mas- masculine side as well, but for me, it's like I needed an entire year, you know, I know I had a specific situation where I was in postpartum depression for quite a while, but that was for all for a reason, you know, like that all happened i never I never took medication, I was really. Not into therapy. I, I really just needed to ritualize everything. And that's what healed me. And I think that's what, what was important about my spiritual life the whole way through, even through my 20s. When I left to go to college, my parents ritualized it. They did like a cord cutting ceremony where they like cut the cord with me on a necklace and we each kept part of the necklace. Like that was so special. And I, I love that my parents sent me up that way. They're so amazing that way. I really am grateful for them teaching me ceremony and ritual because I feel like when mothers cross over that threshold, it's so there's really not very much space for that. There's no one teaching, Hey, there's like a lot of ritual. There's a lot of ceremony. There's a lot of space that you can create around setting yourself up for this transition. And I feel like I'm doing that more in this birth you know, like I'm praying in the morning, would sing the songs. I took a whole month off before having the baby this time and just decided to have, like, my, which is so hard for me, Sarah, but <laughs> to use like my work time and the babysitting time to just be and, and really tune into like quieting my mind and things like that and to make that my new job. That has been so difficult for me. Cause I am I'm always like, if I have a sitter, I better be working, you know? <laughs>
0: totally. I can imagine so, how many type A people there are listening to this podcast, or even not even type A, but just go-getters or people who work really hard, right? We have really ambitious people, driven. I like the word driven better than ambitious because no one ever calls a man ambitious. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like the word driven. But it's really hard. I think the harder work, what you're saying, the harder work can be pausing, resting. Or doing yep. a little bit less like that is I know for me, I'm raising my hand when you're talking that that is really hard.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with the rights with like having this as a threshold and space around it is like that being a normal thing for women to say like, Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to take the rest time now. And I know, you know, Oh, God, my pregnant brain's not gonna remember her name, but she wrote the fourth trimester, Kimberly uh, and Johnson. Yes. Uh, I'm just loving that book. I didn't have it my first pregnancy. But she, everything she writes I'm just like, "Ah, yes like, you know we need, she's talking about we need time before the baby comes and we, these women are working up to like 37, 38 weeks and it's just impossible to like actually have that space to really put yourself in the pace of what it's actually going to be like to be a mom. And then you yes. get to motherhood and it's like, oh my God, everything's moving so slow and this is so uncomfortable and how do I cope with like not having purpose? And then you have to go through an extra layer of that on top of caring for a new baby, possibly being depressed, processing your birth. you know. And I just think that these things get get to have more of a chance to be spacious and be expressed and have support because the only thing I was really finding after my birth was counseling and I love counseling. There's totally a purpose for it. My dad's a therapist. I've been through it. I love it. But I also felt like I need to move through and this is keeping me in. I, it's like I need a coach or I need like something that's going like to move me in action through this. And then that's kind of how all my work was born because I combined all of the things I had learned from coaching with ceremony and with pausing and it was super uncomfortable, but I had to teach all of that to myself. And now I'm practicing it in this particular birth and I'm trying not to, my mind's already going to like, can I be back to work at the end of July? Can I go back, you know, like, can I do, when can I start posting again? And like, and I'm just like, no, no, (laughs) you said you're going to give yourself through, you know, this many months. Like it's such a big practice because we're not really given that context. In so yeah, I'm sure there's and down the road. I feel like there has to be a book or something more instructional that I I'm doing to really teach women how to be in this space because it's it's an unlearning and a learning in our culture.
0: Oh, I love that phrase—the unlearning and the learning. I am. Like, almost lost in a daydream here because of what you said. That even just the space before, so many women are racing up against the clock, finishing everything they can up until 40 weeks, 40 weeks, one day, 40 weeks, two days, till the very last second. And then they like shut their laptops or like put their gloves down or whatever they're doing, write their last sentence. And then it's like they think they can go straight to the hospital and just give birth the next day. And the reason for that is because our policies are so abysmal in the United States where you don't want to take any leave before your baby comes. Most people don't because we can't afford it. There's no totally. support. But I'm just daydreaming like what would it look like for us to ritualize like that you stopped working at 36 weeks period, full stop, and you had 4 yeah. weeks to process the fact that you're about to give birth.
1: Yeah. And I want to be like very candid and real about this. Like it's been really hard on me and my husband because you know, he's been awesome. Like he's been like, yeah, I got, I got you. And I see how much he's holding and he's doing it very gracefully. But there's times where I'm just like, damn, this is like, it's crushing. Cause like, you know, like we, we depend on both incomes and, and I just like, requested this space, you know, and he wanted to give me this space. He knows how big this birth is for me. But it hasn't been all like, you know, I'm not just like, Oh, yeah, my husband's watching out for me while I'm on leave. I want people and women to know, like, I, we really had to organize ourselves around this to make this work. And it hasn't been like a cakewalk. And it's like, we have to, we just keep coming back to like, How much can we trust? How much is the reflection of this birth trust? Like the trust we're going into both having this baby in this way, reflecting how we're trusting what's going to show up for us to like pay for it to be this way. And and just another example of, like you said, the institutions aren't set up for us to like, you know, like my husband's going to have two weeks because he's self-employed of paternity leave. And he's like, maybe I can just fit a client. And he's, you know, it's like, he's already trying to think of ways where it can just be easier. And, you know, we do live in California, which is a very high cost of living and all these things. You know, we, we're also choosing that. But I think it's just really important for for that to be clear, because I think some women could listen to this and be like, oh, well, that must be nice. Her husband can just support her. Totally, you know, totally. no, it no. Has, <laughs> hasn't been like that.
0: I'm in fantasy land with you, too. But it is like, what if we could daydream that this were a thing that weren't even questioned? Like it was exactly. just... This is a place where there's a ritual, there's a rite of passage. What does that look like for you on the other side in terms of changing the conversation of motherhood as a rite of passage in this western culture? like what about post birth and and you've written before about embracing grief in this transition process? Can you talk about that?
1: Oh, yeah, this is my favorite conversation. Grief is so huge um because I just went I think that's why I had postpartum depression honestly like that was someone told me once like this entire three years has been the vision quest for you. You know, I was like, Oh my God, you're right. Three days, three nights, three years. Like it has been because I've really had to like, I had to walk through the grief for a year. Couldn't even work for like the first year. I thought I'd be back after three months into coaching. Like that didn't happen. And you know, Again, same thing with my marriage. Like, thank God we have such a solid foundation, my husband and I, because it does test you. I mean, it already tests you to have kids, but just all of those things not set up. But the grief, you know, he felt his own grief too, I think, and the overwhelm. And we lived in survival for so long after Sitka was born. And we've constantly been trying to step out of that consistently, just like practicing that. And the grief has been the biggest catalyst for that. And mostly my grief because I think there's so much energy a man holds around supporting his wife and her wanting to be happy. And like, that's his, such a purpose of his and his providing bone, you know, that's kind of when men win, you know, is when their wives are like, yeah, thriving for at least my husband, that's for sure. So I had to go through a lot of, of just those processes. And I remember, the way I kind of got back into sweat lodge is a beautiful friend of mine. Who's like a sister. She, she lived with us at the time, her and her now husband, we were living in community with them. And she was like, just come with me to the sweat lodge. Come with me to the sweat lodge. I was like, no, I don't want to go. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I, you know, I was just kind of in my like survival space. And I finally went, I was one day I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And then I cried for an hour in the dark with these women singing, sweating, and i swear to you i came out 80% healed from my anxiety. i just needed to be in a womb space with women who weren't expecting me to heal like you know your family, you know, or wanting <laughs> you to feel better or you feel like you end up taking care of them cuz they're worried about you so much. it was just women there like just cry, you know, just cry, just be here, just sweat it out, like cleanse and It was, that was, I mean, I wish I'd gone so much sooner at the time. It was perfect. But yeah, I think Sitka was seven months at the time. And I came out and I was like, oh my God, I needed that cry for so long. And it could have been like possible. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with medication. Just want to make that very clear. But it could have been possible that I had gone on medication before that happened and would have never kind of known that that's what I needed. Because the conversation about grief is so taboo in this country. It's like, oh, well, you're giving up or you're weak or you're too vulnerable or whatever it is. You're not being that strong mother that you're expected, you're expecting yourself to be. You're breaking down. There's something wrong. Your kid's not safe. All of those things that go through our head. Mm-hmm. And once I recognize, like, oh my God, like I just see that cry so badly. Women come to my retreats and they just cry. Like <laughs> You know, like, I'm like, I'm going to create a context where everyone's going to cry, because they walk out just so healed from and cleansed from their tears, that they never had permission to really shed, because they're trying to be so strong for themselves and their kids. And what is scarier
0: than guiding a new human being, you know, like, Grieving your past self, right? Like we are never going to be the person we were before. I am like I am on the other side of the second birth. I'm never going to be just the mom to my first son. I now have two, but even before that, like I'm I'm still grieving the loss of the self that used to have time in the evenings for not children. (laughs) Like there's so much. Oh, I love that you hold space for grief and for a release. There's something so cathartic about having a good cry, and I also I want to underscore what you said too. Thank you for saying what you said about medication because it is such an important part of so many people's journeys and it is also not the Uh, entire thing. Like, There's so much more in our culture that we need to look at. And so use everything you can, listeners, that can help you if medication is it. We are warmly and hugely in support of that and also – Carrie, what you're saying is so cool. It's like, I want to go to a sweat lodge and soak it out and sweat it out and mm-hmm. cry it out. Like, I feel like I need that today. How do I get yeah. there?
1: <laughs> Come visit me. I'll take you. <laughs> I <go
0: on>. Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah. gonna go Google saunas after this conversation. It sounds so marvelous.
1: I do love what you said, though, about yeah, also grieving the past because that's, so, that's so much of the work that I love as well It's like, You know, just – and I'm experiencing that right now, like you said. Like, I'm really, really grieving not being just me and Sitka anymore. I feel like he and I are, like, war buddies, you know? Like, we went through some really intense things together. And he brought brought in my medicine, and I never want him to feel like he was the bad birth or any of those things, you know? Like, he's just such an incredible teacher. And I'm just – I am feeling sad. I'm already feeling, like – you know he's acting out and having a hard time with this already and i'm just like how am i going to show up for him and be here for this girl and you know it's like so yeah i think every every phase of motherhood deserves that attention
0: so what what is this retreat threshold like and when did you start leading these retreats
1: well i actually started leading them once i got pregnant i had a dream of doing this it was interesting because i went when i started to te- you know just coaching mothers i went right to leadership Because I think that's where I was comfortable. And it was wonderful. You know, I had a program called Empowered Mothers Alliance, and I had some really beautiful results of women just feeling really empowered in their story of who they're being in the world and their visions that they were working on and being mothers at the same time. And I wouldn't allow anyone but mothers in so that they could be in a context of like, we're working on our futures and we're all moms. So that there was no feeling of like, oh, that person's way ahead, but it must be nice because I have to be up with my sick kid all night. <laughs> you know, like I felt like that in certain masterminds or things that I did, like, oh, I just can't keep this pace and I feel like a failure. So I wanted women to have that space. And it, it was beautiful. I did two rounds of that. But I knew that there was something more. I knew I wasn't honoring what had actually happened in that tunnel of that year and and that there's something bigger that was being called for me to do. And I wanted to wait till I was pregnant again to do it. I just had this feeling that that was the time. And then I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with waiting. I just really want to do this work. And there's so many women out there who are overwhelmed and traumatized by the transition into motherhood. I mean, I want to have the space where I'm in person with women working on this now. And then I got pregnant like two weeks later. (laughs) So that was kind of interesting how that worked out. Once I just surrendered to that, then here came baby two. Isn't that that
0: so interesting? And what? Keep going.
1: So funny. And, you know, I had planned this huge banner year for my business. I was going to roll out so many programs. And of course, as soon as I got pregnant, you know, it was interesting. Everything just, I had to drop everything because everything felt so out of alignment with me. I was like, I can't do the leadership work right now. I just can't do it. So I canceled like all these programs that I was going to roll out and just stuck with one on one coaching and threshold. So I did the first one in Australia in November. And it was this has been such a cool thing because it's kind of been it like I birthed this retreat and, while being pregnant. I've never done this retreat, not pregnant. So it's been a, such a mirror for how I've had to like surrender into preparing for this birth, too. But at these retreats, you know, like. We I mean, they're really deep. They're you know it's not for the faint of heart as far as like going in there and doing some good hard work. And I follow the rites of passage model, which is the way I learned it. Is severance is the first stage. So severing to an old self, you know, severing to the life you've lived. And severance can be such a harsh word, but it, for me, the the translation is more like an honoring, like a deep honoring of where you've been, who you've been loving that woman, really seeing her, giving yourself the time to do that and then moving forward. And we spent when I did my vision quest, I spent 6 months doing that before I actually went out and did the quest. So, it's a really huge piece, and that's a piece that I've been talking about in this podcast that we don't have time for for motherhood. Mm-hmm. And we spend the first stage just working on that. We work a lot on trauma, whether it's, you know, life trauma, birth trauma, sexual trauma. It's a big, it's a big energetic day. We work on lineage healing. So we do a lot of cord cutting with the sort of the traditions that have been handed down to us and the stories about who we need to be as women and mothers, which I find is such a powerful part of the work. And I love it. And it's really like, I have to like have Reiki sessions after because it's like a lot of people are giving out so much of like what they don't want to carry anymore. So like, it's a huge day of release, Uh, like a lot of women who've had birth traumas or even women who have had a great birth, but just have felt so lost in their identity, they get to just spend an entire day processing, a day and a half really processing that piece. And then once that is cleared, we kind of move on to the next stage, which is threshold. And that's sort of the reclaiming. And we spend an entire day just reclaiming and and coming up with like these really powerful statements of the visions they're entering into. As mothers, and my argument for this creating this is that we don't actually have a conscious threshold when we're entering birth into the society not always some women do like I don't want to be make blanket statements but you know in other cultures they have you know like midwifery is the standard right mm-hmm. and they have women guiding them into these processes like just like the beautiful way my midwives do but a lot of women don't have that so when they cross that threshold they're catching up to motherhood most of the time instead of you know getting to consciously prepare for it and then be with it however it shows up. So I'm giving these women a chance to come back to the threshold and reclaim it now so that they can heal that that they didn't get that chance, you know, that they can really take power over that. You know, my commitment in my mission is I'm a commitment to a legacy of empowered mothers leading the next seven generations. So everything I do every time I create something the question is how do I empower these women? How do they step back into power? So this is the biggest way that I see that the day we do threshold is like they claim that they say where they're going. And then that day is a lot of like visioning, dancing, you know, like being in their bodies and a lot of embodied experiences, breath work and coaching so that, you know, it can support them. And then the final day is incorporation. And that's sort of where incorporation in in a rite of passage is always the hardest part they say. Because now you have this beautiful reclaiming, this vision, this work you've done, but you have to integrate it into the world that might not understand what that passage meant for you. So this is where you need the most support. And actually, I think I, I'm thinking of adding another element to this retreat where I do a post like three months with them because I have felt this has been an experiment. You know, I've just created this. And the last two times I've just felt like, man, I don't want to leave these women after this retreat, just like holding this because it they go through such a, like a powerful shift. And then it's like, bye,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: we have a group and I keep, you know, I keep in touch and I check on it on people, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. The incorporation to me is like where the brother meets the road. And that's how you bring that vision and that declaration back to your people, back to your life, back into the integration of the everyday, into your businesses, into the way you work, into the, you know, so that's, that's sort of the outline of the retreat is just creating that space almost in a retroactive way for mothers so that that healing can finally be possible. And then they can move forward in their power in a way that's really healthy and balanced. And I always hate the word balance, but I feel like that actually, it does apply when they can come out of that because the healing and the transitions have been really looked at. And it's such a beautiful weekend of permission, and I cry most of the time. And you know, it's just—it's such a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to—I I love it. And it's you know, it's—it has been an experiment, and it's it been learning. And I—I I did a sweat lodge at the end of this last one, and it was so incredible. And I, I'll never do it without a sweat lodge again because I loved it so much. So I'm just giving women these chances to do things that aren't actually really offered in a lot of things that are out there right now. And I find that. I do find that the ships have been really big and the women have left feeling like they got everything they came for. I just feel like the incorporation piece for me is what I need to work on with women now. Mm.
0: This is so interesting. And I, I am so appreciative that your work is about like really digging in and opening up and making space for women to have conversations. Like, what does it look like to transition into motherhood? And and the what you just outlined, I was taking notes, but you you were looking at the past self and then dealing with trauma and lineage. Like that's opening blowing my mind in terms of even just that section reclaiming and incorporation. Each of those things is so huge. And I don't think we have a tremendous amount of language for addressing it as humans. So we walk around all the time, like stuck in past stories or past selves, or even like with the physical manifestations of what my therapist calls little T traumas, because we haven't even had like the opportunity to shake it out and release and just tell someone the dang story and let it go. And so it's all this stuff is like caked on to us that sometimes when I, I work with people, you can see in a room of people that like half of them, their minds and their bodies and their souls are like halfway out the room because they are so preoccupied with all this clutter in their minds and their bodies, all this okay. detritus, if you will. So the fact that you bring women to a space, a conscious space, and you ask them and allow them to work through stuff, I mean, that work is so powerful and so I mean, I think you and I are both on the same page here, but like so desperately needed in this world.
1: Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, I think also my challenge is to like how to make it a little more bite sized Because <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, like I'm so like, I'm such a Scorpio. I like ran off into the most intense possibility of like this retreat, you know, and now yeah. I'm kind of like, okay, how can I make this a little bit like lower ticket? How can I make it more relatable? How can I actually walk the <laughs> women in this space? Right, right, right. It's so funny. I'm, I'm so, like, I'm just so all in in that way, but that's, you know, that's me. It would be I, intense. It was, yeah, this is going to be crazy. And I and have. You will get what you t- came for. <laughs> exactly. I have experienced a ton of resistance from a lot of women who uh, apply. You know, they're like, yes, and never mind, you know. Right, right. Too much. Yeah. But the women who get it and the women who say yes, they really get it, you know, and they walk out and they're like, yes, I'm so glad I did that. And, so I, I for that's kind of my goal too is just like this is kind of a a big jump a big leap in my opinion of like how like diving into this level of healing for mothers cuz most of the time it's almost even too shameful to say that there's something going on. So I'm I'm that's the other thing I'm really working on is like where can I really meet women where they're at and just like have compassion for for the fact that we're not trained into you know this bigger conversation and like the women I and on podcasts with like you, Sarah, like, you know, like you guys get it. And th- there's like a bigger leap that's been wanted to take for, for a revolution almost, you know, but I feel like also like there's just women out there who don't even understand this about that this ha- even happened to them or they didn't get this opportunity yet. So that's sort of my next, I'm very excited about like when I come back from this maternity leave and just think about like, how could I actually just make this really palatable and, and really change this conversation in a grassroots way and meet women where they're at.
0: I am so grateful that you also like just were so so forthcoming in this whole episode and transparent about like, this is where my business is and these are what my challenges are. And I'm like right on my own threshold and I haven't figured everything out. I think it's so much... Uh, almost like more interesting to, to witness somebody as they're learning and growing in real time than, than trying to package it all up in a tidy bow and be like, I figured everything out. Here's how we do business guys. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. What questions are you currently asking with your life and with your business? Like what, what's coming up for you over the next year? And, and what can we watch in your journey? Yeah. Great question. Again,
1: (laughs) Well, you know, one of my like things that I promised myself is I was just, I, I have a lot of ideas of what I want to put out and I promised myself I wouldn't actually create or act on anything until I had this baby because I know I'm going to be a different woman on the other side of her coming through. And I know there'll, there'll be new things that will emerge, you know, but, you know, I, I do love, I do love like the leadership conversation. I just feel like motherhood is the biggest leadership edge Ever, and so I want to bring that back into the conversation a little. Like I said, I want to create more palatable things for women to participate in. All of my stuff has been really high ticket, <laughs> I, so I'm just like, I need to like have something that's like women can just buy and like learn and actually get some amazing value out of instead of having to like do these big programs or be in these retreats all the time. And that's really where where I want to head next is like creating things for women that. Feel really resonant and feel like they're helping them on an everyday kind of level first, and then allow them to kind of graduate into if they want to do some bigger work around their matriarchal journey, which is such it's a lifetime journey, you know. And it's funny it's it's much harder to enroll women into the conversation of, "Hey, do you want to work on this lifetime journey as matriarchy?" <laughs> Versus like, hey, do you want to like learn how to start your business in 20 days, you know, or like be a leader and get your your vision off the ground? It's a much harder sell, so to speak. So I, I can't imagine <laughs> why. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird to me. But yeah, so I think that's kind of where I'm headed next. Like I would love to just write a book or something that's more of a manual of like explaining exactly what this rites of passage world means because it's really new for most people. And that's that's the challenge of my work and, like, the mission I'm taking on is, like, I am just, like, learning how to walk again after having launched some, like, pretty, like, successful things, you know, and I'm starting over with this rites of passage conversation. So it's almost like I've been starting a new business in this last year while I'm pregnant. <laughs> nice. And so I think, you know, my next stages are honestly just to keep learning and keep asking women what they need and keep listening and then creating something that's really going to meet them where they're at. so. You know, because I've had a lot of women writing me and being like, "Ah, oh, thank you for saying this, or thank you for sharing your birth journeys. Thank you, you know, thank you for talking about feedback. Thank you for this." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm just collating all this information of like what's actually supporting women versus going off of like what I think women would benefit from." Which I I can totally come from that place and be like in my own ego about it, and based on my own healings, you know. And I'm really just more interested in like what women really need at this point in our culture to thrive and to be that business woman. And the reason I share so candidly is because I get, I have been so in those places and I'm sure you can relate and every woman can relate listening to this of comparing myself to like other women out there who are killing it and like doing motherhood. And, and I'm just like, man, I just want women to know that like, even if it appears that you're doing great, And I think a lot of women think that when they look at my social media or things I'm launching, it's such, I'm still always like learning and stumbling and figuring it out and going from making a lot of money on this program to making like almost nothing because I'm so passionate about like, this is where I'm aligned. And I think that's what kind of keeps me satisfied in work and my business and not burning out or not feeling like, ugh, like now I'm... I'm a prisoner to like creating this, these programs or whatever it may be. So I'm just having the courage to start over as many times as I need to, to like actually get this mission off the ground for women to have this spaciousness. That's really where I'm headed. And I know it's a little vague, but that's what feels exciting and what feels like it's going to be lucrative in every sense of the word for me.
0: Thank you for bringing us into your mindset and your business approach and your parenting journey, especially I know that we were even just trying to get this podcast scheduled right at the precipice of your birth. I'm really grateful (laughs) for your timing, for the timing and for making it worth work, (laughs) making it work. Oh, my words are starting to slip out of my head now. Where can people find you on the internet and follow your work?
1: Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I I was actually really excited to do this. I didn't want to wait. You gave me the option. I'm like, no, let's do it now. This is a great, rich time. So you can find me on Instagram at Kari Azuma. Very simple. K-A-R-I, which is a different Kari spelling. Azuma is kind of the way it sounds. A-Z-U-M-A. And... Yeah, and on Facebook, Carrie Azuma. I mean, that's really where I release a lot of my content is really on social media and my program launches and stuff like that. My website is carrieazuma.com and I will admit I have to update the offerings on my website. <laughs> but you know, that's all going to be done soonish. And yeah, you know, I really encourage women just to reach out to me if anyone was touched or like curious about what I'm talking about on this episode, like I I just love when women actually just reach out on Facebook messenger or Instagram or um, on my website, you can email me or join my newsletter. So right now everything's a little bit on hold, but I will be planning on doing another threshold retreat my ideal mind says in the fall, but I'm thinking it might actually be next year. <laughs> we'll
0: see. I think it'll come roaring out of you if I know anything about you. It'll be like, <laughs> not now, not now, not now. I've got a baby, got a baby, got a baby. Here it comes. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll be on the lookout for your retreats when you launch them. I'm really fascinated. I can't wait to hear more. And maybe when we're not both like, Immensely breastfeeding our children um, round the clock. If that's something you are ending up doing, I'll find you in a sweat lodge somewhere, eh?
1: <laughs> yeah, there are sweat lodges in New York. I can find one if you actually reach out to me because um, I know people out there who did ceremonies. So, and you know, just to continue on rites of passage really quickly, there are some things that my husband and I are talking about doing together for couples and people raising first time families and being entrepreneurs. So, that's another thing that's actually in my heart that I we haven't planned yet, but My husband actually takes men out on Vision Quest and does a lot of rite of passage work and has a podcast called The Rising Man. So he's doing a lot of stuff with men I'm doing with women. We're like, how can we combine this and really make this powerful for men and women to experience together? Because the gap can be so big when people do transition and threshold work alone and their partner's not in it. So we're also looking toward that. So that's something I just want to put out there as well.
0: Mm, So important. And probably I'll have you back in a couple of years because that's another huge conversation (laughs) everyone if you enjoyed that interview as much as I did I want to take just a minute to tell you about a couple of episodes that you might also enjoy go back through our archives and take a look for episode number 104 we talked to Vanessa Van Edwards who is the best selling author of the book captivate all about her experience transitioning to motherhood And those first few weeks of parenting and what nobody tells you, that's episode number 104. You can find our episodes by going into your browser and typing startuppregnant.com slash 104 for the episode number, and it'll take you right there. I also think you might enjoy episode 94 with Kimberly Ann Johnson, who is the author of The Fourth Trimester, who also talks about this journey into the postpartum period and new motherhood. And if you want to hear my story a little bit more, I recorded a series of episodes with Carrie Fortin on my journey into having a second baby. And I recorded the experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uncertain, the confusing, the overwhelming, all of them in a series of episodes in the 80s. So check out episode number 81, where we talk about what it's like to talk about the really hard things. And episode number 86 where we talk about how I prepared for maternity leave and how she prepared for maternity leave because that is a particularly challenging puzzle for new entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs in a country that doesn't have much in the way of maternity leave policy or protection. So the episodes that I recommend you go check out are 81, 86, 94 and 104. If you are a longtime listener, and you've been listening to them straight through, then I will see you on the next episode. But if you are new here, you can find the links in your podcast show notes. You can type them into your browser. Just startuppregnant.com slash the episode number. And they're always three digits. So it's 001 or 002 or 104. I knew that we would get to at least 100 episodes. I do not know if we will get to 1000 episodes. That seems daunting right now, but we will see. Or you can just scroll through and search on your podcast player for these episodes. The episode numbers are in the show notes and you can find them if you scroll through. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to StartupPregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs, and I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at StartupPregnant.com. We love hearing from you.